in this episode of the Live Damn Well podcast. That, that's what happens at the molecular level with, with stressors, right? And inflammation or too much oxidative stress and not enough antioxidants can lead to things like depression, type two diabetes, joint pain, autoimmune disease, heart disease, like pretty much everything has a component of inflammation. Acute stress, acute inflammation is necessary for things like building muscle, adapting to exercise, you know, and that's called hormesis. So it's like what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, but that only occurs if it's acute and you have enough rest and regenerative processes. Free radicals and oxidative stress is necessary for immune function. That's what cytokines are. Like if you guys have heard of pro-inflammatory cytokines, the cytokine storm that everyone's so concerned about right now, that is signaling, it's cell signaling. But if it gets to a point where it's too much, when your body can't handle it, that's when it starts to become a problem. Studies have shown that sleep and omega-3s, which have been widely shown to be anti-inflammatory in like virtually any way that you look at them, sleep was shown to actually promote resilience to the negative effect of radio frequency electromagnetic fields. Sleep is I mean, it's a reason why it was evolutionarily conserved, even though it's one of the stupidest things that we can do. Like in terms of survival, we just go and lay down and be like completely still, just waiting for a lion to eat us. Welcome to the Live Damn Well podcast. My name is Jorge Roman, author of Return to Human and certified health coach in training. In this episode, two other inquisitive minds and myself discuss all things stress. So, Stress gets a really bad rap in most health and wellness circles, but is it really so black and white? And does a total absence of stress actually promote health? Or is it a little bit more nuanced? Do we actually need some sort of stress in order to be resilient, healthy humans? Stay tuned for a full rundown of types of stress, enhancing resilience to stress, and navigating a stress-laden world. So today we're going to cover the question of, is all stress bad? We're going to go through the types, definitions of stress, and ways to optimize the stress response in an intelligent way. So what is stress? So there are like a few different definitions that I found. One, anything that threatens homeostasis, and homeostasis is basically like the body's natural like balance of certain things whether that be like ions in and out of the cell whether that be like sodium potassium balance but it's always in this in this sort of balance so anything that threatens that causes a response and that's called the stress response so stress could also be an actual like threat or a perceived threat stress response is the way that the body reestablishes homeostasis so you, uh, you said that the stress response tries to move you back towards towards the homeostasis. If I'm my def my thought of of how the stress response worked was that it would allow your body to deal with whatever whatever was giving it that 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 input that's that's uh, perceived stressful input. It would give you the like up, up regulate certain systems and down regulate certain systems to be to allow you to focus on a goal and that goal being 
uh, eliminating or dealing with whatever was causing the stress. And is that is that what that's essentially what you're saying? Yeah, that is. Yeah, that's that's pretty much exactly what I'm saying. The paper that I read that gave me that definition of homeostasis and stress basically was saying like the stress response is anything that uh, is caused by something that moves you out of your natural, you know, like rhythm, rhythm, your body, like homeostasis. So stress response is basically like, yeah, because like what you said, if you're faced with, and I was going to make that that uh, distinction with uh, a lion chasing you, a lion chasing you, and that comes back to haunt us again. So, so you're thinking about this, this actual threat, right? And it's not really something that uh, most first world nations have to face unless like there's a zoo outbreak and a lion's like chasing you down somewhere. But uh, other than that scenario, that's highly unlikely. The stress response occurs if you think that you're going to be eaten by that lion. And then in the short term, yes, as you said, it upregulates certain processes. It downregulates others like immune function, for example. And it allows you to survive that so that you can move back to homeostasis. It's like, it's like thinking. I'm not sure where I heard this, but what is the purpose of thinking to get you to stop thinking, right? It's a tool to move you back to stop thinking, right? Because thinking consumes so much energy that it's a tool for you to move back to just like unconscious habits and actions. So I liken that to this because the stress response in like, ideally it serves a purpose of moving you back towards homeostasis, mm. but long-term, however, long-term chronic, not good. While in the short term, like certain components of the immune system are turned up and others are turned down. The long-term is much more clear cut long-term chronic stress globally weakens your immune system. I was going to say, uh, you do have a stress response in when, in response to infections, like bacterial, viral, things like that. So certain aspects are upregulated. And speaking of stress response, my dog is very antsy to come inside and it's raining. So I have to let her in. So to finish up wrapping up this lion analogy, all energy goes to preventing you from being killed. Basically glucose, fatty acids, like ketones, all made available to your muscles, heart rate increases, blood pressure increases. You're just trying to survive that, right? So in the modern world, it's a perceived threat usually, right? Like a uh, classmate is pissing you off because he's asking you really stupid questions uh, or some other first world structures like that. But again, it's important to realize that chronic bad, especially if you don't have the proper mechanisms to rest and recover from that. We'll get into that right now. So let's talk about exercise as number one. So most people don't really see exercise as like, as a stressor, they kind of just see it as, oh, it's good for you. Pretty much that's the common, that's the consensus for exercise, right? But chronic high intensity training every day for most people is probably harmful so like unless you're an olympic athlete you've been doing it for like all of your life you have uh you know you know how to recover and rest you know how to feed your body to keep on doing that exercise then you're probably going to suffer because your stress response is going to be turned on all the time so like the way i thought about it is like 
think of a person who has a regular nine to five job where they probably already have some amount of chronic low level, like emotional stress while doing a job. It's just like part of pretty much any job, especially if it's like manual labor, then you get home and you think, oh, guidelines are to exercise for an hour a day. So after doing that stressful job for eight hours, I'm going to go and also exercise and no pain, no gain. Right. So I'm going to go like hard in the paint the entire hour. Now, if you do that consistently, you're going to have problems with like adrenal glands. You're going to be just like constantly overstressed. Burns out basically. And I think, I think a good point that I can add here is that like, even for elite athletes, and this obviously goes for quote unquote, people who are normal or not athletes. Um, if you train too hard, you could actually detrain yourself. If you can completely like overload your muscles over and over, you'd actually start killing your muscles. You become, yeah, you get stuck in that catabolic phase. Exactly. Yeah, uh, most endurance people deal with that. Yeah, so it's it's really important to realize that although exercise is very healthy, like we're all meant to move every single day, the type of movement, it doesn't have to be high intensity interval training every single day. Well, not even that, just like consistent grind out running. It's like, well, it's not a thought just occurred to me. What's recommended? It's like low or high carb diets, go for a run, like lifting weights is, is bad. Like, oh, you don't want to be a bodybuilder. We, it's kind of funny. We talked about that in our, in our previous podcast. I head over to livedamwell.com and you can, you can peep that one. We talk about the definition of health and COVID, COVID kills healthy people. Yep. That's right. So that's exercise, right? And it's funny because a lot of the things that we try to do is, is, uh, you know, question are a lot of these like recommendations and guidelines, you know, are they actually sound? Because a lot of people probably look at food pyramid or my plate and they're like, Oh, that's established science. That's sound. That's done. Nope. You can't question it. It's done, right? Like the scientists did their job, trust the science, trust the scientists, but, and yes, to a certain degree, like, sure, they are, you know, that's their job, right? But it's, it's important to be aware of everything that could go wrong and does go wrong when you're putting together a scientific study. There's, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. You had a great post on, on Instagram about that, about the flaws of a, of a scientific study. Uh, at live.damn.well on Instagram, yeah. But uh, yes, there, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. And I think like so many people believe that science is, is like religion. And that, that's kind of something that I get into in my book. It, it's like, and I know, don't mean to offend someone like religion is bad. I don't think that it's bad. I don't, I also love science as it is, but what I'm getting at is ideology, like thinking that science is like should never be questioned. Otherwise you're a science denier or whatever other really intellectually lazy label you might give someone. It's uh, you have to realize that science is constantly changing. Literally that is what science is. You observe something 
you make a hypothesis, you test whether that's true, and then other people go and try to replicate it. Well, ideally, they should go and try to replicate it. And if it can't be replicated, which is actually the case with many, many studies that are coming out, specifically one that I can think of is in the field of psychology, then you start to question, have we been right all of these years when a few studies pointed something and then we made a bunch of dietary guidelines, a bunch of lifestyle guidelines based on those few studies? It's like maybe we need to go back and look at how some of these assumed facts were actually founded. So that's just kind of a purpose statement for what we're going to try to do with this podcast and uh, YouTube channel if you're watching on YouTube. So Jorge, we're talking about the overstressing aspect of stress, but are we ever going to talk about the the movement in society where everyone's trying to take away all stress? Yeah, so you're referring to like stress kills, like those kind of like mainstream ideas that all stress is bad? Yeah, sure. But like, not even that, like, there's a movement in society, like, specifically with the consumerism aspect of society, where we're trying to design certain products to like cater to every single aspect in order to promote comfort. For example, like, we can get anything delivered to our doorstep. We have ab pulsing machines where you could sit down and just place it on your stomach and you're supposed to get abs which all three of us know is highly unlikely we have beds that sit up for you like there's this new movement and i think it's actually fairly dangerous that well it's not new it's been around for quite a while now that eliminating all stress is absolutely amazing and it's the end all be all yeah there's a I mean, I think there's some very, very strong implications of that, especially psychologically. Like, I think doing that kind of thing and having that kind of mindset of everything is easy, everything is comfortable. I mean, look where it's gotten us. I mean, we're we're starting to become one of the most sedentary and uh, like mentally weak people to ever step foot on the earth. Like, and I'm talking about that mostly with a lot of the first world countries. Yeah. As you said in our previous podcast, we're basically devolving because of all this stuff. Yeah. It, it's, I think, like a big part of what'll happen if you start to make everything easy, you have ab machines, you know, you can sit down, watch TV all day. As long as you have your ab machines, they'll do the work for you. Or, uh, you know, you'll pop all these pills that'll, simulate fasting or they'll simulate exercise right because those are there are a lot of those uh there's a lot of research going on in those areas right now but i I really think the effect on psychology and society is going to be so profound like just like the way that we go about living and the way that we you know if we encounter a struggle like let's say we encounter like a little puddle on the way to work nope you'll just start crying and go back home like that's obviously extreme, but like, you know, small things will get in our way of doing uh, important things, I think. Or normal tasks in general, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And that actually kind of gets us into like emotional stress. So um, there are, there are a lot of studies. There's a lot of research being done on something called that's referred to as early life stress. And obviously that's pretty self-explanatory, but 
during the developmental years, uh, psychological stress actually leads to increased risk for a lot of different uh, neuropsychological issues like anxiety, mood disorders, um, even things like immune dysfunction um, and beyond that. And so there's a condition known as HPA axis dysregulation. And basically the HPA axis is the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. It's basically like a, a signaling mechanism it is a uh three components that make up the stress response and so when it's dysregulated when you get into the state where it's just like constantly on the gas pedal when your adrenals are constantly hitting the gas there's no break then cortisol can't be turned off and normally what happens in the way that it's balanced is it's turned off by a negative feedback loop. So the absence or the presence of a lot of cortisol usually turns off that loop so that you can go back down homeostasis. But if we're constantly being, you know, there's a lot of pressure on us, there's a lot of uh, emotional stress that you're dealing with from work or whatever it may be, that feedback loop becomes compromised and you're just suffering a lot because you're constantly just like, go, go, go all the time. So Jorge, you mentioned something about a feedback loop and one of my thoughts directly ties back to that is the idea of social media, especially when you said feed, I, feedback, I thought about a feed and like social media has, especially young people, I mean, we're obviously fairly young, so this applies to us too, but like we're always on social media, like trying to get likes, trying to get people to just see us in general and like us literally. And that, I think that always stresses us out. And also that remind, it reminds me of something that I think I saw on like the history channel where, where people back in like thousands of years ago, we actually needed people to like us for our survival. And I think we talked about this in our last podcast where we lived in small groups and we were very social creatures. We're still very social creatures, but being social was directly related to our survival because we needed the alpha people who could hunt to like us. We needed females to like us in order to procreate. And I think it's transferring towards social media where we're always stressed out because we still need people to like us because it's hardwired into who we are as a species. That's a great point. And I think it's even more pronounced right now because everyone's alone. Everyone's so isolated right now. And, and you know, it's not even like, like yes, lockdown 100% has made people lonelier. It, the, the, the suicide rates have skyrocketed. But that has happened. It's been happening for a while. Like, it's, it's not a new phenomenon. Like, the fact that, yes, we are as connected as ever before, but we are also as lonely as ever before. And it's because it's, it's, you know, social media has started to become like a substitute for real human connection. And uh, it's, I mean, social media is literally designed to be addicting. It's designed for you to like, oh, got to refresh, got to refresh because we got to see if there's a new like, then like, boom, dopamine spike right there. Exactly. The dopamine spike. Like really actually, all you listeners out there. I know you probably have heard 
yeah, social media is designed to be addicting. Oh, it's uh, a replacement for social interaction and, and all this. But next time you find yourself picking up your phone without thinking about why you just picked up your phone, flicking the combination open, going to Snapchat or Instagram, whatever app your thumb just naturally goes to, and you start doing whatever you're doing, think like, stop yourself and think, why did I just do that? What, what series of actions just led me to do that? What was I feeling before I grabbed my phone? And what feeling did grabbing my phone and doing those series of, of thumb taps on the screen, what feeling did that just bring me? Is like, is, was that a replacement for a feeling that you're missing before? Or did you just have a lack of thought, a lack of input in your head, so you wish to fill it with something else? Personally, I've found that Instagram, after, after I've, I've replied to all my snaps, Instagram is my go-to. I'll hit it and I'll, and I'll start scrolling through and I'll be like, what are you doing? you could be doing something far more productive with your time right now. It, it's sucking you in. And I've noticed it's puts the posts, the people that I like the most up at the top, the stories that I follow the most up at the top. Like, of course, it's going to be designed to pull you in like that. The more you get pulled in and say you, you like to post content, but you find that you're not getting the likes that you want or you know, there are, there are plenty of, of ways that you could find to stress yourself out. Blue light in general, like the lack of uh, the dysregulation of your circadian rhythm. Like say you do that at night, like the moment that you go and open up your phone and start stimulating your brain, cortisol is released. Blue light stimulates like any, any light really, but specifically blue light because you're biologically wired to have a cortisol spike in response to blue light. So if you, when you do that in the evening, you're flip-flopping, you're, you're swapping the the periods of time which your your biological clock is supposed to be active yeah so ben um as soon as you mentioned mindlessly tap mindless phone tapping it made me think about a little test that i did and this goes to our viewers and listeners as well go into your phone and change the position of your instagram and your snapchat and i'll tell you that nine times out of ten you'll mindlessly tap on where your social media app used to be and you'll end up going into the calculator and you have no idea why. I've done that. It is one of the craziest things I've ever experienced. It's so I just mindless. keep multiplying numbers for no reason. It's so mindless. Like it's, it's really, I think it's insane how little we, uh, how, how much we underestimate the power of our unconscious habits. It's, it's incredible to me. Like it really is like we hear it a lot. If you've ever taken a psychology course, like unconscious mind is the one running the show, right? The conscious mind is the one that's like, you know, it's, it's called upon for, for certain key actions, but it's, it's crazy. Like I found myself doing the exact same thing. I'll just like, you know, when I was in high school, for example, like I would just find myself when I was like bored or something before class, like I would just like whip out my phone, immediately go towards where I knew. Like I didn't even have to look at it. Like I could just do the thumb thing, look around and click and I'd be on Instagram or click I'd be on Snapchat, I'd be on iMessage, whatever it was. I think we should definitely do an episode just on social media and like the effect that it has on uh, on the brain and like dopamine pathways. Unless you guys, something else, guys have something else to add, 
I have one quick thing to add, uh, and I guess it's like, I guess you got to think a little bit about a solution. And one solution that I've, well, two solutions that I've thought of that actually kind of have been working for me is one, I've set my phone to do not disturb for for all the time. I, it's never not on do not disturb. So I don't get the notifications that lure me back into the phone. And another thing like that people in general can start doing is just get off your phone in general, turn it off, chuck it in a closet and go a couple hours without it. Yeah, like one rule I have for every Sunday is I don't look at social media. I will not look at social media except for Snapchat, iMessage, just like to actually talk to people. But I will not look at Instagram. I will not look at Facebook. And I also do the same thing, Luis. I keep my phone on Do Not Disturb always. And when it comes to nighttime, I like put it on airplane mode, like maybe an hour, half an hour before I start getting ready for bed. Having to check your phone every time it buzzes or... In the worst case, if you're a flasher, you have the flash on your phone. Um, having to check it is—it's like if you hear a buzz and you don't, and you're and you're engaged in something else, it pulls your attention, and that becomes like a little stressor right there. Like you feel your heart just like pick up just just a slight little bit. Like you feel like a little sharp intake of breath. Oh, gotta check my phone. Nope, redirect attention. Have you guys ever heard a buzz, but there was never a buzz? Yes. <laughs> you, so you're stressing yourself out because you're expecting a buzz, but there isn't even a buzz anymore. <laughs> I remember when I used to check my phone so often that I was just like on edge constantly. Like I was like I was a zombie. Yes. You, it's like a little umbilical cord attached to your phone and you can't do anything because you're horrible it, it feels like you're so dependent on something to create your happiness or enjoyment of life it's so horrible low dopamine yeah low dopamine man all right so to get back on emotional stress so hpa axis dysregulation uh scientific mumbo jumbo leads to other risky behaviors like in itself so like that in itself is already you know pretty bad if it's chronic but that also leads to a bunch of other risky behaviors like smoking drug use um and obviously more emotional stress and so chronic stress as we're gonna get into very soon is uh you know it doesn't affect just one thing in the body it affects every single part of the body because it's all it's all connected right but it is it's all connected like you can't single out and it's become very um apparent that you can't just single out for pretty much everything you can't single out one little thing and expect that to be the cure because it'll never be the cure like you have someone who has high cholesterol you give them a statin you have someone who has acid reflux you give them an antacid all better what's the problem with that well you're not actually fixing anything. What you're doing is covering it up with a gigantic fucking Band-Aid. Instead of removing the knife that cut you, you just keep adding Band-Aids on top of it. Over top of the knife. If Over anything, top of the knife. knife deeper in. Yes, so. That just really highlights the systemic like inadequacy of the conventional medical system. Like here in Barbados, like, we were, I was talking to my pediatrician a couple of years ago 
about nutrition and he always told me that he needed needed to and always wanted to learn more about nutrition and he ended up doing it on his own because he's responsible and he told me that when he was getting his medical degree in the caribbean and i'm pretty sure it's similar everywhere else he only ever had to take one class on nutrition to graduate that is bad as a doctor people who as a person who saves lives it's a, it's a, it's insane that's insane and it's it's very similar in the united states and it's only just now changing like we're only just now having regulations that are like oh maybe it is a good idea to add a few more courses to the med school workload you know because it's funny like maybe the things that you eat that make up every single part of your body or maybe it's actually important what you put into your body you know i think they're finally just starting to hit them but it hasn't hit them enough yet, clearly, but hopefully it will soon. I mean, you say that. I actually think that a lot of people know, but big pharmaceutical companies don't want it to become mainstream so they could keep selling their drugs. That's another thing to think about. That, uh, that is part of it. There are other barriers to it than just it's not taught. Like There could be reasons why... like blocking like why the curriculum isn't included or hasn't been included yeah um, okay another thing is which i talk about in my book return to human shameless plug on amazon it's an ebook um another reason why it doesn't happen is because you have to think about practically how scientific research is done you need funding who has a lot of funding gigantic corporations who already have a lot of money who are willing to use scientific research as advertising and that's become clear now more than ever so you have someone like uh general mills right and I, i'm not like vilifying them like they're a giant corporation they're trying to grow that's what every single business tries to do right and the way that you do that especially in a science-driven world like today is put your money into scientific research so that all the mainstream headlines can say ODOs are heart healthy. And now you get like 30,000 news articles parroting the same exact scientific article when they actually have no real understanding of how the scientific study was done, whether it was a randomized control trial, whether it was an observational study, uh, whether there was conflicts of interest, whether the methodology was inadequate. They don't know any of that. And that's another reason why you don't get so much research looking into lifestyle interventions. It's not really profitable. Makes sense. Makes sense. It's almost as if you can cite a study and then you're infallible as well. Yes, because most people will not actually look at that study. They'll just take your word for it. Look at the abstract and the title at most. Maybe they'll just look at the title probably. And... Yeah, they'll, they'll say, you're right, science proves it, boom. So that leads us into the digestive system. The stress effect on the digestive system is, is pretty severe. Like, I don't know if, if this happens to you guys. I think it's pretty variable. But to me, when I get really stressed out and I'll be like working, uh, I just will not be hungry. Like, I'll, I will be so into doing work Well, when I'm really focused, like when I'm really into something and I'm really doing it, I'm like super like concentrated on something. I just will not be hungry. And that focus is a sort of like, is a sort of stress. You have to be, you know, on that stress, like arousal performance curve, right? You mm -hmm. have to 
certain amount of stress so that you're into work. And I found that when I'm in that space, I just am not hungry. And actually, there's been a few studies that show that it affects appetite. There's something called stress-induced anorexia that's been shown in several studies. And it's actually funny because saffron, like the spice, has been shown to be effective against stress-induced anorexia. But that's... Because it tastes good, first of all. Some paella, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Jorge, I have experienced that, but I guess in a different stress scenarios is that like i'm a swimmer right so as you get to swim meet all of us all three of us can understand that it's pretty stressful like you're nervous and stuff and most of the time a lot of swimmers don't eat that much at swim meets and it's not because they don't want to it's because they're always so nervous that they physically can't eat and it takes a long time to be able to overcome that type of nervousness and another thing i have experienced is not necessarily like on the eating aspect of it but like when I'm really stressed out with school or I'm really stressed out with swimming in particular, like uh, not to be crude, but the way I poop becomes very different. Oh no, I said poop. <laughs> if you're a lot of people will, will eat because they're stressed, but they don't choose things that are going to nourish them. They choose things that are going to make them feel good like stimulate them neurologically stress eating yes sir especially if you really hate what you're doing and uh like you don't want to do something just pop a few snacks and uh you know dull the mind some oreos oreos and almost like whenever you get a feeling of stress it's also associated with that type of food to make it better so like you automatically think you're automatically, you're stressed and you automatically associate it with this food that's not good for you. So whenever you feel this feeling, you automatically go to that food. Yeah, so there's a big psychological side to this. There's also, uh, and you know, with this next one, the microbiome, for those of you that don't know what the microbiome is, it's basically the collection of like microbes, viruses, bacteria, fungi that just hang out in your uh, intestinal tract and they're actually like without them you would be dead so for those of you that are like very fearful of certain submicroscopic agents just be aware that without them there would be zero life today i want to share with you guys a supplement which my family and i have been using for over a year now i know what you're thinking this is probably like jack rabbit's left foot supplement or salamander toenail extract or some cognitive enhancer that they sell to you on the black market of the internet. No, this is a completely natural essential supplement that your body cannot make and probably doesn't get enough of. In fact, several studies have shown that from anywhere from 20% to even 75% of Americans are deficient. What is this mineral I'm talking about? Magnesium. So the reason magnesium is so critical for all bodily functions basically is because it's involved in over 300 biochemical reactions in the body. And those 300 biochemical reactions aren't contained within themselves, which means they literally affect almost every part of the body that you can think of. 
Magnesium is necessary for heart function, brain function, digestion, metabolic health, immune health. Now, I don't just take any magnesium because I've tried magnesium citrate, magnesium glycinate, magnesium chelate, and I found which ones work and which ones really don't work and which ones can give you <clears throat> the runs. So after experimenting with several different magnesium supplements, I finally found what I believe to be one of the most complete magnesium supplements that you can find on the market. And that is the Bio Optimizers Magnesium Breakthrough. The difference and what this supplement really brings to the table is it has seven highly bioavailable forms of magnesium in it. So what does that actually mean? Why do you want more forms of magnesium? Basically, different forms of magnesium can do different things in different places. Whereas one type of magnesium will create a laxative effect, another can actually get absorbed into the brain. So the fact that this one supplement contains seven forms tells us that this is a super unique supplement. Really one of the most notable effects that I've had since starting to take magnesium is much better sleep, um, much more calm, and that's because of the effect that magnesium has on the nervous system. Actually, one of the most shocking research that has been done on magnesium shows that it's actually depleted the more stressed that you are which means in the busy lives that we lead, it is very important to get an adequate amount of magnesium. So if you're interested, you can check out the link in the description, or you can go to livedamwell.com podcast, find the episode, and in the show notes, you will find the link to this amazing product. So that being said, you can't be really sure in a lot of cases whether you know you have a certain type of microbiome, you have certain bacteria that are you know really reproducing well and others that aren't in your gut. Uh, is that the cause of you having a lot of stress, or is the stress you know going down and affecting the microbiome? And it's actually been found that both are the case. There's this um, the vagus nerve is really the main way that communication occurs from the brain down and like from the gut up and long-term stress is not healthy for, uh, to support a healthy microbiome. So now I'm going to talk about some more, some kind of scary effects that chronic stress can have on learning memory and, and the brain. So hippocampus, quick refresher is one of the brain areas with the highest density of glucocorticosteroid receptors, but it's also where memory occurs. So it's, it's where you take short-term memory and you can turn it into long-term memory. So what does it mean when you have these glucocorticosteroid receptors? Basically that just encompasses like things like cortisol, stress hormones. So, so what does that actually imply? So, uh, these areas are most sensitive to stress and in the long term, it can actually cause an atrophy of the brain, decreased dendritic branching involved with learning and memory, decreased neurogenesis. So decreased formation of new neurons in the hippocampus, which can cause memory disorders and so on. So 
it's important to know that like chronic stress all the time, you not being able to turn it off is, is literally destroying your brain's ability to be a brain. But on the other side of that, there's the thing called the, uh, the arousal performance curve. So you need to have some sort of stress in order to actually, you know, learn things. Cause if you're not engaged, you're just like looking around whistling, like daydreaming. Like I was in a lot of classes in, uh, like middle school, high school, especially elementary school, like you're not stressed. You're not actually paying attention to what's in front of you. So you're not really learning, but that's acute stress. It makes sense because say you've got that lion chasing you again. Okay. That you lion. want to remember, yes. You want to remember where that lion was, what you were doing, what it looked like, and as many things like your body wants to be able to retain that information. So having all those processes released in your brain, allowing you to record that and hopefully retain it will allow you to survive. Right. And it, okay. It's also important because we've, we've been talking a lot about emotional stress and like psychological stress, but at a molecular level, Chronic stress can be thought of as too much oxidative stress and not enough antioxidant reserves. So can you realize? Yeah. So oxidative stress, basically you have these things called free radicals and they are very unstable substances, which can damage cell membranes, proteins, DNA, and just basically cause a whole host of problems. But I'm not just going to say it's bad again. That's not really how it works. If you think about it, pretty much virtually all chronic diseases and all diseases have some sort of low level inflammation that occurs. And inflammation is also kind of synonymous. It's kind of synonymous with, yeah, with, with uh, oxidative stress, which, which too much, too many free radicals and not enough of the antioxidants to help um, quench those free radicals and stop them from doing damage. So that, that's what happens at the molecular level with, with stressors, right? And inflammation or too much oxidative stress and not enough antioxidants can lead to things like depression, type two diabetes, joint pain, autoimmune disease, heart disease, like pretty much everything has a component of inflammation in it. So Jorge, you're basically saying that these free radicals and that inflammation is bad. How can we address this issue? Luis, real quick. Mm -hmm. uh, something that I found really interesting uh, from last year was that we learned that free radicals and oxidative stress is necessary to combat um, invaders or damaged cells. It, it, it's necessary for immune function. You're right. Yeah. That's what cytokines are. Like if you guys have heard of pro-inflammatory cytokines, the cytokine storm that everyone's so, you know, concerned about right now, that is signaling. It's cell signaling. That's all it is. But if it gets to a point where it's too much, I guess yeah, that's to why point, it's too much. When your body can't handle it, that's when it starts to become a problem over the long term. If day in and day out you're going hard with uh, you know, knocking back donuts, if you do it consistently, you're gonna get results whether it's a negative or, or a positive result from your choices. And that's what happens when every single day you have 
too much oxidative stress from, you know, over consuming calories uh, or consuming the wrong type of, of calories from refined carbohydrates. So to address that, there, I mean, there's a lot of different things you can do, but usually what I try to think about is inflammation is not really bad. Inflammation, and this is what we're going to get into right now, acute stress, acute stress, acute inflammation is necessary for things like building muscle, adapting to exercise, you know, and that's called hormesis. So it's like the, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger pathway and process basically. But that only occurs if it's acute and you have enough rest and regenerative processes to do that. I was trying to get towards like in a very coded way, like are there any supplements that you could take for as an antioxidant to deal with extra free radicals that you don't need? <laughs> Shameless part. Yeah, yes, actually, we're gonna get into that really soon. I actually wanna finish this up in a few, in like 15 minutes, so try to move through it a little bit more quickly, but we will get into supplements right at the end. So things like cold heat exposure, you know, even sunlight because like if you go outside, like sunlight is pretty powerful. Like it, it literally breaks DNA as soon as you step outside. Right. But why isn't it that everyone gets skin cancer, even if they're outside for long periods of time? Well, you have those adaptive mechanisms. You give it enough rest so that you can get maybe tan, you know, your skin gets a little bit thicker to be able to deal with that stress. So just to recap, is stress good or bad? It depends on a few things like your innate, adaptive, your learned ability to cope with it. Um, you know, if you have like anti-anxiety lifestyle practices like meditation, you have like social events, right? You have like gratitude practices, uh, or if you, you know, the foods that you eat can help you cope with those things. Um, and like, there have been some, I think we talked about this in a few of our, our classes last year, rats that were raised by nurturing mothers have increased levels of serotonin compared with rats raised by less nurturing mothers. So when they do get to have a very stressful life event, they're able to handle it better than other rats who would have a way too high stress response by that same event. So it's, it's interesting how all of these lifestyle factors can lead you to be more resilient or less resilient to stress. Also appraisal of threat, like, is it a big threat? Like, are we scared of something like public speaking or are we not? You know, you can have two different people, one of which is very scared, one of who is not, and go through the same exact presentation, one can be scared and one not, you know, it's how we actually perceive it to be stressed. Also time under stress, severity of stress. And, you know, like we mentioned, is there enough recovery? Time for everyone's favorite part. Supplements. <laughs> Supplements. Yes, sir. So first I would go with sleep. Sleep is the most slept on. <laughs> Boring. Sleep is the most slept on. Slept on. But actually, though. Actually, it is like one of the most slept on ways to recover from virtually everything. Like, so if you haven't, and if you're very skeptical of the fact that electromagnetic fields from your phone, from like Wi Fi, are can be dangerous over the long term, then, uh, it's a good thing you're watching this podcast because I'm about to explain to you why that's actually a problem. 
So to put it quickly, too much RF radiation or radio frequency radiation from cell phones, Wi-Fi routers actually can lead to, and this, this research was spearheaded by Dr. Martin Paul. And so it can lead to an increase of calcium going into the cell because this type of radiation actually has its effect on voltage gated calcium channels. So a bunch of calcium rushes into the cell when it's exposed to like, you know, you have like a cell phone next to your head for way too long. Right. And what happens with that is a whole bunch of signaling cascades that then lead to more oxidative stress. And if you do that long-term, it is no good. And the reason I brought that up is because studies have shown that sleep and omega threes, which have been, you know, widely shown to be anti-inflammatory in like virtually any way that you look at them. Sleep was shown to actually uh, promote resilience to the negative effects of radio frequency electromagnetic fields from the sources that I just told you. So sleep is, I mean, it's a reason why it was evolutionarily conserved, even though it's one of the stupidest things that we can do, like in terms of survival, we just go and lay down and be like completely still just waiting for a lion to eat us. There's the lion again. Right. But it, it's there for a reason. Like we, we literally need it to function. We, we can survive longer without food than we can without sleep. So sleep is number one supplement. Number two, magnesium. Magnesium works its way into basically everything. As I, as I keep learning more and more about magnesium, I keep saying like it's, it's literally tied to every single reaction, everything in the body because it's anti-anxiolytic. It helps with serotonin regulation. It's, uh, it's a very important part of you being able to deal with, with stress. And when you're very stressed, you also use up magnesium at a higher rate. So magnesium is pretty important. So that actually leads me into something I've been waiting to talk about. So I, I've been doing a lot of research on how to handle stress. Um, as you said, one of the key ways to handle stress is to stress yourself and become accustomed to it. Like I've been researching a lot about um, the Stoics in general and how they like to live life is to live life in gentle amounts of stress so that all other aspects of life become easy to them, if that makes sense. So for example, a Stoic, well, I don't want to say Stoic in general, but like this movement, the people would sleep on the floor instead of sleeping on the bed. And that type of stress, for whatever reason, enables them to handle other stressors in life. And I just think that's really incredible because the normal person would be like, oh my gosh, they must be so miserable. They're sleeping on the floor on purpose. But no, they're, if you could sleep on the floor and still be happy, what, do you, what can make you unhappy? It's also just like mental resilience that they build up by doing that. Exactly. And their approach to it, you know, it's like they're choosing to sleep on the floor and their mindset about it is enabling them to gain a benefit. Whereas if you're not accustomed to this culture and you're like, oh, I'm going to try it out for a week, you're going to be miserable. You're not, you're going to have the worst sleep of your life. You know, you're going to be grouchy. You're probably going to lash out at people. Or if you're forced to do it, same thing, same thing. So it's definitely how they interpret that stress. How they use it to their advantage, basically. Yeah. You want to talk about more supplements? 
I don't have any more supplements, but basically know that there are a lot of lifestyle practices that you can do. And there's a lot of them that we're going to talk about and like completely focus in on, on future videos and podcasts. So this is kind of like your introduction to a bunch of different types of stress and hopefully orients you towards more research into things that you can do, because honestly, like self experimentation, that N equals one experiment is, is really important. And again, disclaimer, not telling you to go and like self experiment by like, uh, doing a coffee enema or like jumping into, uh, you know, a river that's going really fast with a bunch of rocks. Right. But within reason, right. Within reason, everyone's responsible for their own actions. I think doesn't have to be said, but I think it has to be said. So main takeaways, eat your damn veggies. <laughs> <laughs> but actually though. All right. Awesome. Great. That was a great <laughs> podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Now, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That would be very, very helpful. In this episode, I probably mentioned some sort of resource, citation, or product that I recommend and use myself. If you want to check that out, then click the link in the description and it should take you right to the show notes. If you want to learn more about the chronic disease epidemic and you want to learn how the modern lifestyle is actually crippling our health, then I recommend you check out my ebook on Amazon called Return to Human, how modern medicine, the media, and the mundane have destroyed our immune system and how to move back towards optimal health. Thank you for listening and I hope to see you in the next episode.